praise the Lord. Well, Lord, that's our prayer today, is that we wouldn't just be a Sunday morning Christian, but seven days of our life, 24-7, that we'd be very mindful of the presence of God, that we'd start our day by saying, good morning, Lord, and the last thoughts on our mind before sleep is thank you, Lord, for a good day. So we just welcome you today. We pray that you would open the Word of God to us, that there would be a, a voice within my voice that speaks to the hearts of everyone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Well, give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you are looking good, even though daylight savings time is upon us. How many like this new daylight savings time? Let me see your hand here. How many do not like it? I don't like it either. I'll tell you what messes my sleep patterns up. Well, listen, as we're gathering here, we've had this week a great uh, uh, opportunity for our kids have been on a retreat. First part of the week, the young people, the youth went, and now the college age is down. They tell me there were 40-something down on a retreat grounds in Florida, and they baptized 15 yesterday, and uh, what a great testimony for God's goodness. So uh, I'm so glad that you're here on this spring break weekend. Second Chronicles chapter 1 is where I want you to go. Second Chronicles 1. It's in the pattern of our Bible reading uh, that we've been doing the last few days as we encourage everyone to take some time to read your Bible every day. I mean, know you spend a little time with God every day. The day's just going to go better. God's going to speak to you and guide you and keep you on track. We've got Bible guides. You can look on your phone app or pick one up in the lobby. But 2 Chronicles 1.1, this book of Israel's history has introduced this fashion. Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom. David, of course, King David, a man after God's own heart. His son David, or Solomon, Solomon builds the temple. Solomon is the king, but it's this next phrase that's the heart of the message. Notice what it says. It says, the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Can you say that with me? Exceedingly great. Now, how many know when God makes you exceedingly great, that's got to be pretty good. How many know the best you think of, the best that you can do? If you think of technology, you think of a Bill Gates and what Microsoft did. When you think of, think of the next step in Google and, you know, what the access to information. Well, that's these things are just the best that man can do. How many know when God gets behind a person, it just really takes off? We're told about it in the book of Kings, 1 Kings 10, 23. Solomon had more riches and wisdom than all the kings on the earth. Now, here's my question in this. Why did God bless him like that? You can say something. <laughs> Why did God bless this man? Why would God pick this man? Now, I've been doing a series as of late. Remember, a series has been called Attention Getters. And how many know this series has been about men and women, people who have done things in life that, that got God's attention, and God did some pretty incredible things through their lives. I mean, no, when God picks a, a believer to either bless in a special way or use in a special fashion, he didn't do it accidentally. It was not an accident that God picked Peter on the day of Pentecost. It was not an accident that, that God picked Noah to build the ark. I mean, no, the Bible says he was a righteous and blameless man. It was not an accident when God wanted to show us the great enigma in life of why bad things happen to good people. He picked Job, a righteous and a blameless man, and he found himself trustworthy. What we're going to see as we look in the life of Solomon this morning, we're going to see why God blessed him so, and it is very clear that it was because of a dominant attitude in his heart. There was something about his relationship with God, an attitude he had that got God's attention. And the cool thing is, it is an, an attention-getting attitude that you and I can embrace too. So this would be a very practical message on Solomon's life, and I've called the message, Let's Make a Deal. 
How many are old enough to remember that old show in the 70s, Let's Make a Deal? Yeah, all right. Well, I'm going to show you a little clip later, and we'll kind of have some fun with that. But let's, uh, let's keep going this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 7, where God's, God and Solomon are having a, a, a communication time. Second Chronicles 1-7, that night, God appeared to Solomon. Now, here he is. He's sleeping, and he has a dream, or he has a vision. This dream was a bit different than mine. In most of my dreams, I'm kind of in la-la land, but this was a very spiritual dream. In this dream, God was speaking and Solomon was listening. Solomon was very much aware of what was going on. It was a very volitional experience. He was talking. He was communicating. They were having dialogue back and forth. But here's what God asked him, and I want you to think about this. What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. That'll at least get a smile out of your face. Can you imagine if God appeared to you and said, Okay, babe, anything you want, just go ahead and ask, and I'm going to give it to you. How many know that that's going to get your attention pretty quick? I hope your mind's running right now, because Solomon could have asked for a lot of things. Solomon could have said, Okay, I want a turbocharged chariot. I want an eco chariot because I'm tired of walking behind this horse. So you understand what I'm talking about? He could have said, Okay, steak and lobster for the rest of my life. He could have said, I don't want to have to work a day in my life. I just want to have a lot of fun. Uh, he could have said, hey, I want to marry the most beautiful woman on the planet. Or maybe he could have said, hey, I wish turkey season were year-round. <laughs> year-round turkey season, no limits, unlimited private land to hunt on. I'm just kind of just being laughing just a little bit this morning. But how many know when God asks a question like that, whatever's in your heart's going to spring up? If he asked Buddy, he might say, well, I'd like my own private duck spot, and I'd like to be able to hunt ducks all year long. I mean, we've all got things that are, we're passionate about. You might say, I'd like to hit a, hit a home run every time I play ball, and I'd like to live to a 1,000 and never be sick. Come on, a day of my life. There's lots of things, but when God says, I'll give you whatever you want, how many know the sky's the limit? And his answer is what got God's attention. Now, look at verse 8. Solomon replied, O Lord God, you have made me king. Now, let's pause right there, and let's remember that Solomon was a humble man. Now, Solomon didn't, didn't uh, go out and make his wealth. Solomon inherited it all from his dad. Solomon inherited the best of what David had. He was raised in the king's house. How many know that comes with privilege? There's education. There's everything, all the benefits that go along with that. But still, he stayed humble, which is a rare thing, because usually when people are blessed in life, how many know it tends to go to our head? We tend to get prideful when there's accolades that come our way. But he recognized, and this is very key, that God made him king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. And here's the request, verse 10. He said, God, I want you to give me wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possi possibly govern this great, uh, this great people of yours? Now think of this scenario. He's a king. Literally millions of people alive at the time, millions of Jewish people. It is the heyday of God's blessing on their race of nationalism. Everything is going well. But how many know the burden of leadership is pretty great? And he looks at these people and said, you know what, God? These are not my people. Come on. These are not, these are not my, but they're your people. And I simply want to ask you this. Give me the ability to lead them in a way that makes you happy. Come on. Give me an ability to lead them so they can all eat and not be in poverty. Give me the ability to protect them from danger and evil because there's armies more powerful than ours. And what God did is God saw this attitude that was in him. You see, this attitude that got God's attention was that he cared more about God's priorities than his own. Now listen, because this is so huge this morning. Solomon cared more about what mattered to God than what mattered to him. 
And God heard that. It's like he was willing to put God first. He wanted to live a life completely surrendered to God. Now, I'm sure he wanted the nice things. I'm sure he was a turkey hunter. You understand what I'm talking about? I'm sure he wanted all these things, chariots and houses and everything else. And how many know, nothing wrong with houses and cars and all these things, but how many know it's the priority of our life that which is first? Is God going to be first? Is he going to be the passion of my life? Or will the pursuit of other things be the passion of my life? Now, in this case, it was not an either-or. He didn't have to choose the good life or choose God. He was going to get both, and I want you to see how it unfolds. You know, when I was reading about Solomon, I, I, I've been following, as you have, the new Catholic Pope, uh, Pope Francis. I mean, if you're a Catholic Pope, you can come up with your own name. Pretty cool thing, I thought. Well, it's interesting how they pick this guy. They pick this guy. He was from uh, Argentina. He had served the Catholic Church there for decades. He's in his 70s. But he was a guy that literally had the courage to stand against the, the secular direction of the country. Just like America is in a, a, a religious turmoil today, moral turmoil about what's right or what's wrong when it comes to what's called the great social issues of the day, be it abortion, same-sex marriage. I suggest to you these are not social issues, but these are moral and biblical issues, listen, that God has an opinion on. And this pope, they say, stood against the prevailing thought in Argentina because Argentina was becoming more secular, and he basically had the courage to say it's wrong. And they exiled him, and he ended up teaching math in villages around the country. But lo and behold, God and God's economy brought him back, got him to the Vatican, and today this guy's the pope. Now, now listen to this. Here's a guy, the day after he was elected pope, I'm talking about private planes, I'm talking about pope mobiles, I'm talking about a life of luxury, if that's what you want. Guess what he did? This guy go, drives himself in a little bitty old car to his hotel, picks up his own bags, listen, didn't have a driver, picked up his own bags, and then went to a local church and did Mass. In other words, the humility of the position got God's attention. That's a pretty powerful thing. Uh, and somebody sent me a picture this morning, you know, when they're selecting the Pope. The world, of course, the liberal world, is, is aghast because the Catholic Church has not modernized herself to keep up with the times. Can I suggest to you, friend, it is not the role of the church, Protestant or Catholic, to modernize herself to fit the culture. It is the role of the church, come on, to be salt and light in the world, to tell people the truth in a loving fashion, whether it's popular or not. And that's exactly what, what uh, this man will do. He's reached his hand out to Jewish people. He's reached his hand to the Protestant, the evangelical, because how many know we've got more in common with him than we do with lots of folks? But it's, somebody sent me a picture this week of the Dallas Cowboys, and it showed me their stadium up there, and black smoke was coming out of the stadium. You know, when the Cardinals were picking the Pope, you've got black smoke coming out of whatever room they were in until they pick the Pope, and they tell the world when this black turns to white smoke, however they do that. Well, anyway, black smoke out of Cowboys Stadium signifying the fact they've still not found a quarterback for the new year. So they are looking. You may want to be in prayer with that. Verse 11, okay, get offended at the preacher and walk out. It's okay if you're, if you're a diehard cowboy fan, just, just playing. I will pray with you that God resurrects the dead. Uh, verse 11, well, if Tom Landry and Roger Staubach came back, I mean, come on, glory days. I'm old. Verse 11, God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people. Now, your greatest desire. It's pretty powerful. This is the depth of your being. What's most important to you? Your greatest desire to help your people. You didn't ask for wealth, riches, fame, 
or even the death of your enemies, or even a long life. But you ask for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people. Listen to what God says. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to have the wisdom. You're going to have the knowledge you requested. But I will... Say it again. Also give you wealth, riches, and honor or fame. So it was not like he had to choose one or the other, but he just had to choose which is first. And I suggest to you, friends, there's a powerful, powerful thought in this message today. Because just like Solomon, God has a design for your life. Your life is not an accident. You're not a happenstance. God has purpose for you. And He is waiting to, for us to put our life in God's hands. Because here's the principle of the day. If you just want to remember it in a nutshell, this is it. When God finds someone who wants His will more than their own, He'll use them mightily and bless them in a big way. Wow. Let me say it again. When God finds a person who wants His will more than their own, then God will use them mightily and He'll bless them in a big way. So this question, what do you want, is, was revealing for Solomon, but how many know it's revealing for us? It tells us who's first in our life, God or us. What matters more? Uh, what am I living for? For God of myself. And again, for Solomon, it was not, it was not uh, the things of this world or God. It was just which was first. Because God, my friend, is a good God. Come on, and He longs to bless His people. See, your answer to this question will determine whether you get God's attention or whether He may ignore you. So it's a pretty powerful little statement here that he found in this man, Solomon, that he found a heart that wanted God more than anything else. Now, let's keep going. Matthew 16. We've looked at an Old Testament character, but shouldn't we also go to what Jesus had to say on this very subject? Because Jesus speaks to us loud and clear about this priority of our heart, and He echoes what we saw in Solomon. Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus told His disciples. Now, how many know we're all supposed to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And a disciple is a follower. Uh, a, a disciple is someone who looks like their teacher. If you allow your child to be educated by someone with a secular mindset, more than likely when they leave that teacher's presence after weeks, days, months, or years, they'll be just like their teacher. How many know it's monkey see, monkey do? The whole idea of mentoring and following. Well, that's exactly what Jesus says. He says to His people, and that's us, the disciple, if anyone would come after me, let him, say it with me, deny, him. deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, what does that mean? Our cross is God's plan for our life. Uh, Jesus, of course, His cross was literal. It was to take that cross to give His life to pay for the penalty of our sin. That's what Good Friday is going to be about coming up in just a few days. I mean, no, there was nothing good about Good Friday for Jesus. Think of the name. What made it good is that God was providing the way of escape for the penalty of the sins of the world. So that was God's plan for Jesus. And He literally took up this cross to follow God. Well, that's what God says to us. Well, how many know to pick up God's cross for your life, His plan? How many know you have to deny yourself? See, in your Christian life, you'll have junctures. I know in mine as a young, guy, as a young boy, when I was still in my early 20s, out of the Navy, felt a call of God on my life to go in ministry, but still wanted to live with my family in Mississippi, pick up my life there where I left it off, and uh, that's what I wanted to do. But for my life, the will of God was for me to be trained for ministry in California at my wife's dad's church and go to seminary and all those things. But I want to tell you, it was a difficult thing. And how many know it's not always easy to take up God's will for your life? But if you will do it, I'm telling you, if you will simply be like Solomon, 
hear me, and make God's priorities your own, your life has exponential potential to do something great. Now, verse 24, the New Living Translations translates this same verse. You know, I use a lot of different translations in church. The, the, one that I, the Bible that I'm reading from now is the ESV, or English Standard Version. The Bible, of course, was written, the New Testament Greek, the Old Testament Hebrew, a little Aramaic. And a translation is simply trying to move an ancient language to modern-day English that we speak today. Some translations are more literal word-for-word, word, like the ESV. Others, like the Living Bible or the Message Bible, they try to take a thought in the Bible and put it in language that's a grabber. So the New Living Translation says this, if you want to follow Jesus, then you've got to turn from your selfish ways. And can I tell you, that had to be as difficult for Solomon to say that, come on, in God's let's make a deal, as it is for us. But listen to the message. I think this is probably the coolest scripture in the morning's message. The Message Bible says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Wow. Now, isn't that powerful? Yeah. Now, let me suggest to you, every person on planet Earth is riding in a car of life. Think of this analogy. We all got our little car. Some of us are in a, a Datsun. Some of us are in a, you know, a Nissan, a Mercedes, a Rolls, or whatever you're driving. But you're in a car. You're in control. And Jesus is in the back seat. Now, I don't mean just Christians now, but everybody. Jesus is in the back seat. In other words, He is, by His Holy Spirit, convicting you. How many know God is the one that draws us to Christ? You may wake up one morning and you may see the sunshine and all of a sudden the lights come on and you realize that's not the product of evolution. Yeah. You may look up in the starry skies and an astronomer tells you we're just a real small, small part of a large, large galaxy and there's billions of galaxies and the enormity of who God is speaks to you whether you've heard a Bible verse or not. Come on. It's called natural theology in the backseat of life. And something in your heart makes you realize there is a God and I'm not Him and I've got stuff that separates me from Him. You see, God will speak to us and He's convicting us. But something incredible happens when you give your life to Christ, when you believe in Him, when you literally look at the, at the one in the back seat and says, I believe you're my God. I, I believe you came to save me and I give you my life. And as you extend the hand to Christ, your life, listen, Jesus then moves from the back seat next to you. Now, this is where most people are, most professing Christians, is Jesus is in the car riding and we're driving. And, you know, if Jesus wants to say something, we'll listen to Him. Now, this whole idea, as I was speaking a moment ago about natural theology and Jesus in the back seat, did you read this week that scientists, literally thousands of scientists working for decades, have found what they call the God particle? It was in an accelerator, and it was over, and I think, in the border of France. I think, anyway, I think it was in France. But lo and behold, they had found what they believe. You remember the neutron, electron, the proton? They had found what they believe, the particle that was responsible for the creation of all matter. So... Inferred in it, though, was now we see what we've called God, this little particle was behind it. Now, these super, super smart PhDs, listen, I'm just a little simple preacher, and I scratched my head and said, well, who made the God particle? Where'd the God particle come from? See, here's what modern science has done. Because we are unfolding God's universe. How many know the technology for your cell phone was available in the day of Adam and Eve? Listen, the technology for jet airplanes was available when Solomon was king. All the technology that we have today, it's not brand new. It's always been there. Man, in his research and his study, have just explored what God designed and created. Wow. 
And, and, and I fear that sometimes because we understand the way it works. Think of a, think of a, a, a child. When a child is conceived at birth, when an egg and a sperm come together, there is in that child, listen, all its potential for life that you enjoy today. Its DNA code has already been set. It has been separate and distinct from the other six or seven billion people on the planet. His or her iris will be different. Their fingerprints will be different. They're unique individual created in the image of God. But because we understand it, we tend to take, come on, the sense of the miraculous away from it. But something happens when a man or woman comes to grips with the fact that there's a God and I'm not Him and I need Jesus and Jesus comes to sit in the front seat. Then the battle becomes this. Who's going to be in control of my life? Who am I going to let lead? And that's exactly what Solomon's statement from his heart represented. Solomon's statement represented the fact that I'm going to let Jesus drive my life. Come on. And I'm going to put my life in His hands. And I suggest to you the greatest thing a Christian can do is pull their car over to the side of the road, put it in park, take out the keys, get out of your door, go over to where Jesus is, come on, and open the door and say, Jesus, I want you to take the keys of my life. I want to surrender my life in your hands and, I want, and then take him back and let him be seated in the front seat of your life and drive your life. That's why God made Solomon exceedingly great. is because Solomon recognized all that he had was because of God and the best he could ever be in life was if he would simply give his life to God fully and completely, let him be in control, move from being number one to let God be number one, and God used him in a spectacular fashion. It is a lesson, my friend, that can change your life. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand this morning. Now, uh, the Christian life is just in some ways like a marriage. When I speak to a young couple that's getting married and I say, ask questions like, uh, who's going to be responsible for taking care of changing the oil in the car? Oh, we don't know. Uh, who's going to balance the checkbook? Well, he is. Um, okay, who's going to cook? She is. Who's going to clean? She is. And I say, how about both of you are? Here's the deal. Who said that's right? George is going to go home today. And he's going to get Clorox, and he's going to get Windex, and just anything that you want him to do, George is going to do. Give George a big hand. He's such a great husband over there. Well, let me tell you how to happy, have a happy life. Figure out who's best at the different things and let them do it. That doesn't mean that you don't help and have your part to play. But listen, if my wife was responsible for changing the oil in cars, we'd have oil all over our driveway. Now, listen, I love my wife, but that's not her thing. Listen, some of us, if you were responsible for cooking, you would starve to death or go broke because you had to eat out in restaurants all the time. I mean, we all have graces in things that we do in life, but how many know both of us can do dishes? Yeah. And my girl said amen real loud on that one. Um, let's keep going here. But this is the same thing in your life with Christ. Your life with God was never intended to be lived with you driving the car. God always intended for him to be the driver. And if you let him do that with your life, you'll be like Solomon. Come on. And your best days can be ahead of you. Now look at verse 25. Jesus is continuing to talk about following him. Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. And this is a big oxymoron in Scripture. If you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. So let me ask you a question. How in the world can you save something you give up? How in the world can you find something you give away? God, this is where God comes into play. See, hanging on to your life means being in control, staying in the driver's seat. 
But Jesus says, if you will give me the keys, if you will let me be in the driver's seat, listen, you're going to live life in a way you've never lived it before. Things are going to be better, listen, than ever before. If you will simply choose God first instead of choosing the chariot first, listen, the steak and lobster first, the turkey first, the girl first, this first, if you will choose God first in your life, listen, your life will end up, listen, you'll have a better chariot and a cuter girlfriend. If you will put God first in your life, because He knows, listen, what's best. Now, let me say this and be very honest and clear. God doesn't promise everybody that we'll be rich like Solomon. Come on. And we have to watch our motives in life because you cannot desire to just put God first. You can't just give or tithe or whatever you do because God's going to give you something back. Come on, that's like taking advice from a, some counselor or a stockbroker. We, we do these things because we love God. Come on. And then God sees the motive of our heart, and He blesses us because we love Him. Listen, because He is a good God. Amen. See, God knows when we're being manipulative, just like you do when your children come up to you and says, Oh, Daddy, you're the best daddy in the whole world. <laughs> and Bill Cosby, he used to say, How much money do you need? Listen. Dad longs to give kids money and things. He longs to bless them, but he doesn't want to do it because he's being manipulated. He wants it to be an overflow of love in their life. Come on, give the Lord for another good hand because he is a good, good God. Listen, verse 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? What will you really get out of life if you aspire to be a Bill Gates or one of the world's richest people. My friend, when you die, you will end up with a rusty chariot and somebody else will live in the big house you're living in. And nothing wrong with a new car and nothing wrong with a nice house, but I'm telling you, Jesus himself said, if number one in your life is gaining the things of the world, money, stuff, power, and fame, and you give little attention to your spiritual life, you will end up having wasted your life. Jesus said you would forfeit your soul. Jesus said, what can you give in return for your soul? And the cool thing here, Jesus said, verse 27, the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will do what? He will repay every person for what they thought. He will repay you for what you believed. What's it say? He'll repay you for what you've done. And what we're doing is following Christ, come on, and putting Him first. Listen, for some of us, you know, as I look in Solomon's life, Solomon just seemed to go from good to better to best. In other words, where he started out, when he yielded to God, things just got better. But sometimes, like Jesus, remember, Jesus started out from the highest place. He came down to the lowest place, sacrifice and suffering. But then God brought him back up to a higher and better place. Listen to Philippians 2 verse 5. You've got to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. He gave up. Everybody say, he gave up. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. And he humbled himself in obedience and died a criminal's death on the cross. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus cried and prayed? He said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me. But then what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So sometimes when you make God first, there may be sacrifice involved. There may be some suffering involved. But listen to what it says, verse 9. Therefore, now whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, stop just a second and say, well, what's it there for? It's there for to make you look back at his suffering. But then it says, therefore, God exalted him. 
Why did God exalt him? The same reason he did Solomon. Because both of them put God's plans and God's will ahead of their own. It got God's attention, come on, and God looked down from heaven and smiled on them. God elevated Jesus to the highest place of honor and gave him a name that is above all names. And can I tell you, God is in the payback business, friend, and God will pay you back, come on, for any sacrifice, any suffering, any giving up, there is a glory that awaits you. Can I tell you, listen... I hope this is not disrespectful, but I bet the angels in heaven were doing flips, uh, somersaults and, and flips when they heard Linnell talking this morning. Now, I guarantee you, I guarantee, I know, listen, we both know we're praying for a miracle. We're praying that this thing would just disappear and be gone, but we started praying since the diagnosis, and for whatever reason, God has allowed her to go down this journey. Listen to me. He's not punishing her any more than he was punishing Job, but it is our response that determines our future. And she told me yesterday, she said, after, after last night's service, and we were talking about what it meant to put God above yourself. She said, what I want is I want healing, and I want all this to go away right now. But, Lord, if you want me to go through this valley, come on, and let my light shine and bring glory to you and see more people come into the kingdom of God, then so be it. Come on, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And I'm telling you, God is a rewarder, and God is in the busy to pay back. Come on, if you'll just have the courage to say yes to the Lord, whatever it would be, God, come on, will give you something better than what you had. I'm preaching a little better than some of you are amening this morning. All right, we're going to close with this, with a little video back from the 70s, Let's Make a Deal. Now, if you've never seen this and you're a young person and you wonder what's wrong with your parents or grandparents, it's because they watch TV like this. So uh, take a little peek here, but I want you to think about this because there's some great parallels in the message. The show, Let's Make a Deal, in case you've never seen it, is basically the host would give you something. And you had something in your hands, like Solomon, whatever the case is. And then the host would say, okay, do you want what's in the box or behind the curtain? Because if you'll take that, you've got to be willing to sacrifice what's in your hands, what you can see and hold on to, and the potential is for something better. Now, on Let's Make a Deal, sometimes it was a, you know, a gag gift. But I want to tell you, friends, what behind, what's behind God's curtain is never a gag gift. Come on. It's always better if you're willing to do the Solomon thing and put your life in the hands of God. So take a peek. We'll laugh a minute, and then we'll pray. Margaret, notice where Carol Merrill is standing right there. She's standing in front of a curtain, and I'll tell you right now that this turtle wax goes with what's behind that curtain. So that's what you now own. You own the turtle wax and the curtain. And I'm prepared to buy the whole shebang back from you for $500. I want the car. Because, oh, you remember there was a car back there. She, she remembers what was back of that curtain. She says there was a car back there, right? In, in that case, I'll give you $600, $700, $800 not to take the curtain. $900, $1,000. I need the money, but I want the car. I need the money, but I want the car. I need the money, but I want the car. Scans beautifully. $1,100. Oh, don't do this for me. $1,200. I want the car. $1,300. Fourteen hundred. Fifteen hundred dollars. I need the money. I, I, oh, uh, I, 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 take, I, take, I take the money. I take the money. I take the money. She took the money. She took the money. I took it. I took the money. Five hundred. Yes. 600, 700, 800, 900, 1,000. 
Okay, don't make fun of the Datsun. That was a Lexus back in the 70s, okay? Isn't that the tug of war we're in, though, in life? I mean, you've just got the world telling you, come on. If you'll just keep going my way, I'll give you another hundred. I'll give you another hundred. Come on. If you just get a little bigger house, you'll be happier. Doesn't matter. Go in a little bit more debt. You'll work a few more hours. I know you're not going to be able to do Bible study. I know you can't go on the missions trip because you just bought this and the bass boat. Come on. And the new gun and the new car and the new this and the new that. But that's what's going to make you happy. Come on. What do you want, Solomon? Well, I, 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 want, a new, I want a new chariot. Come on. I want, I want to each take it. Yeah, but if you would just be willing to put that down, what I've got behind the curtain is going to be so far exceeding what you could imagine. If you just have the courage to put your trust in me and take the curtain. And that's exactly what Solomon did. That's exactly what Jesus did. Both of them set their eyes on something that was higher than the things in this world. And both of them, come on, got rewarded on the backside. And I can tell you this about God from both scriptural truth and personal experience. You can never make a sacrifice. You'll never suffer in any level that when it's all over, you won't say, my, 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 look what God has done in my life. And my life today is better than it could have been, come on, because I chose to embrace the priorities of God above my own. Give the Lord a good hand today. Now, look, let's take the last five minutes here, and I want you to just pause just a second because I believe the Holy Spirit is all over what we've been talking about today. If God were to ask you that question this morning, what would you say? If God were to say, from our text in Chronicles, they'll put it back up. If God were to say, what do you want me to do for you? All you have to do is ask, and I'll give it to you. I want you to think about that just a moment. Not just say what the preacher wants to hear. But I want you to be honest where you are at this stage of your life. For some of us, it may be, oh, preacher, there's this hot-looking guy, and I'll tell you what, that's what I want. I, I'm into muscles, preacher. Look, honey, he's just putting on smaller and smaller shirts to get your attention, okay? I mean, I mean, and, and, and when he gets old, he's going to be fat. Okay, I, 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 all right, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings there. But, but that's, li that's just usually what happens. And that's the exact kind of choice we're talking about making. What would you say to God if God asked you today, what do you want for the rest of your life? We're going to sing this song, and I want to encourage you just to close your eyes in a prayerful moment. Just to, The reason you close your eyes is shut everybody else out. And just give God an opportunity to maybe speak to your heart. And what might you say to him? We're going to just sing this morning.
just sing it. It's very, very simple. And my life be glorified. Just sing it. Be first. Be first is what you're saying. I choose your priorities, Lord. just stand and just sing it to the Lord. If you want to just offer yourself to heaven, just slip your hands to heaven with me. I want to be like Solomon. I want to be willing to do what Jesus did, to empty myself of my rights. Be what you want me to be. Embrace your purposes, Lord, for my life. I give you, God, my life. Father, I want to pray that you would just make this a very holy, sacred moment, that something deep would happen in our lives today, that you would break through whatever layer there is that's been holding us back. Lord, we are, most of us in this room are delighted beyond measure that you sit next to us in our car, but today we're giving you the keys. Today we're pulling over at the side of the road, putting the car in park taking the keys and going over to your door to humble ourselves before you, opening the door to you, and then coming and opening the doors you get on the driver's seat and we give you the keys. Help us, Holy Spirit, to do this. Seal on our hearts indelibly what you've spoken today. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. I want to close this way. They're going to sing it one more time, but... I believe there's many of us that are here today that really made some significant step with God today. And you need to seal that in prayer with another person. See, a lot of things that I, commitments that I make on my own are things that I've tried to do before. Come on. They're things that I've tried to deal with before. And I'm not able to do it on my own. I mean, no, that, 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 that rose doesn't have to strive to open. God has programmed it in such a fashion that the flower just opens at the right time. Something supernatural can happen when you pray. Maybe you're here today, and, and, and maybe God spoke to you today that there's some things you're going to have to let go of and leave before you can go this way. They're pulling you apart. You might want to just come in a symbolic act today to just give them to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to put you first. More important than a relationship, some of us are in relationships we don't need to be in because they're pulling us away from God. For some of us, it's money, it's material things that have the place of an idol in your life, and God's not been first. I don't know what it is. But if there's something that the Holy Spirit, in my words now, is drawing you to give to God, you may want to come for prayer. But there's another group of people that are here today, and you've been in the back seat, or God's been in the back seat of your life. And today, for the first time, you surrendered your life to Christ. You need His salvation, but you're willing to give your life to Him, to ask for His forgiveness and receive Him as your Savior and let Him slip on up to the seat next to you in life. That's the most amazing thing that can happen to you. Happened to me on August 15, 1976, when a Gideon gave me a New Testament. I read the words of the Bible, 
And for the first time, they lived in me. And I said, that's what I need to do. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to receive him as my Lord and Savior. Can I tell you, it changed my life. And it has the power and potential to change yours. And if that's a decision you're making today, I want to invite you to come too. Because our Christian experience is not a private experience. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I deny you before the Father. But if you confess me before men, I confess you before the Father. If you've made a commitment to Christ today, you may want to just come and let somebody pray for you. And let us give you some things that will help you learn to live the Christian life. This is your moment this morning. Let's just begin to sing it through one more time and then we'll dismiss. But I want to invite our prayer team to come one last time and stand in the altar. And if you need to respond to God in prayer this morning to do business with Jesus, please just come and follow them. Just slip right out of your chair. That's it. Just slip right out of your chair and come on up and let us pray for you. Just come and make a step to the Lord today. There's people here that will stand with you. Things that you want to give to God. Something that you need to have sealed on your heart. Come let us pray for you today. God wants to do some special things. I love you very much. Thanks for coming. You come let us pray.